0: Lovely listeners and welcome back to Planet with Nikki, your podcast dedicated to unlocking your full potential in productivity, strategy, execution, and personal growth. The podcast where we dive deep into intentional living. I'm Nikki, your host and guide on this transformational journey towards realizing your goals and aspirations, helping guide you on your own journey to success. Today, we have a truly fascinating guest with us, someone who has not only been a successful entrepreneur for over 40 years, but also has a profound impact on the lives of others through his coaching and advocacy work. Please welcome entrepreneurial coach, David J. Greer. David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Uh, My pleasure too. I've been really looking forward to this.
0: Yeah. David, let's, um, if you don't mind, let's start at the beginning of your journey. Uh, you know, at, at the age of 22, you joined a young software startup, and please keep me honest here if I get any factual information incorrect. And over the next two decades, you played a crucial role in transforming it into a global powerhouse. Maybe, um, can you for share with us, you know, what, what it was like for your career journey, maybe including some of those highlights into the challenges and highlights along the way? Yeah, you know,
1: I had a coach Kevin Lawrence for nine years who liked to say that uh, we are the stories that we tell. And um, if you want to change the experience, change the story and the story you just told is the true story. But I think that uh, in life where and in business, we learn from our challenges, excuse me, and uh, from overcoming adversity. And so I want to start with just a couple pieces of that. Yes, I was 22. Yes, I was going to the University of British Columbia getting my computer science degree. Um, I had got a part-time job with the local cable company, which turned out was the largest cable company in North America at the time. And I was working on a really critical project to rewrite their IT systems led by a consultant, uh, Bob Green, who had just founded a company and uh, I decided in fourth year to leave the uh, cable company and uh, join uh, Bob's uh, young company, founded with his wife Annabelle. So Robert and Annabelle gets you Robel, which was okay. uh, the name of the company, made-up name. So Google swell. <laughs> um, and you know the uh, the the manager at the cable system was very disappointed in me because he'd gone to bat for me with his bosses, and uh, I had a mentor. One of my dad's best friends, you know, who I talked to, this would be my other piece of advice, is it's great if you can have someone more experienced to talk to or a coach. Um, and he said, look, he wouldn't have paid you that money if you didn't do good things for for him. And so you, you know, you earned what you had, so you can go with a clear conscience. Um, but I had some angst around that. And then as a condition of my new employment, I had to submit a Uh, paper to the International HP Computer User Group Convention of 1980, um, which was accepted. And then I had to fly to San Jose and talk to all my professors and get a week off in fourth year to go give my first technical talk. And as I was prepping for your call this morning, I was really reflecting back, standing on the edge of the stage with uh, my new boss, Bob Green, next to me. And uh, I don't know if I was externally shaking, but I tell you, internally, um, you know, I was shaken like a leaf. And, you know, I got out there and I got started, which has always been the case for me. I tend to have a little bit of nerves before presentation. And if I don't, I worry because I think I don't give a good presentation if I don't. Um, and I have them because I care. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so um, anyways, I, I just, you know, that was a couple pieces of that initial journey which is even for me is really you know I've now give hundreds of presentations Bob and I had a strategy where we wrote a new technical or managerial paper every year and traveled the planet giving presentations to create belief in this obscure Canada based company that you'd never heard of that you were gonna trust your whole business to and, uh, and that strategy worked it was very effective actually um, and uh, again in that journey if we go forward like 10 years in um, We'd started an R and D company, which I owned half of and was running. kind of the R and D arm. And then Annabelle wanted to retire. And, uh, I, I had an opportunity to buy her part of the business. And at this point, I'm about 32. I've got a four year old and a two year old. And I was, went downtown as part of this process and met with the accountants. And like, I had to take. Every bit of cash I had to pay as a down payment, I had to pay it back over three years. If I missed a single payment, Annabelle could demand her shares back. And I left that meeting outstanding outside the elevator with tears going down my eyes. Like, um, it was freaking scary.
0: Yeah. Like, what did you just do?
1: <laughs> I hadn't signed the papers yet, but this is just contemplating it. And, yeah. uh, um, You know, and I did buy her out and I immediately put one quarter's worth of payments. We had a really good quarter and I managed to put like a quarter payment to Annabelle in the bank and just put it in a term investment um, so that if we, the unthinkable happened and we had a quarter where we didn't make any money, I still had a whole payment for Annabelle. And years later when I talked to Annabelle, she said, David, you know, I trusted you. You know i know you i never would have called on the shares even if you'd missed the payment but i didn't know that until long after the fact like <laughs> long after i had been out of Robel. Um
0: and not everyone might have been so generous
1: <laughs> no and it's still she still had that potential like that yeah. was in the agreement it's what what i agreed to and it was papered with lawyers and all the rest um, and Yeah. So, I mean, it it was a very scary time and, you know, it all turned out well and we continued to build the business um, until 2000 when, so we were experts in a particular computing platform made by Hewlett Packard, which when they started was like the 46th largest computer manufacturer in the United States. And at its prime was probably in the top three or five. And uh, so we rode the coattails. We were an independent software vendor, of HP success, but we could see that this platform had some end of life. Um, It was the the longest lived mini computer platform in history, but uh, it had some end. And uh, Bob and I got into a major disagreement about how, what the future of the company was. I wanted to, we built an incredible team. We did amazing things that no other company did. And we'd had multiple touch points to tell us that from customers and partners and distributors. So I wanted to take this skill set and apply it some new direction, put a little more money and a little more risk and build it in a new direction. And Bob wanted to milk the market till the last customer left and turn out the lights. Uh, I think they both were very viable strategies. They just were not complementary strategies. And uh, so I only had one disagreement with Bob in 20 years, but it was a hell of a doozy. And it was emotionally very, very, you know, him me by email of stealing money and like all these things that weren't the slightest bit true um, so it was very acrimonious at the end and we we ended up solving it by him uh, buying me out which was the result of more good advice when we started the R&D company in the 80s when I was like in my mid 20s mid um, late 20s I'd got legal advice for a shareholders agreement and there was a clause called a shotgun clause uh, where if you come to a disagreement, um, one, uh, shareholder can say to the other shareholder, um, I offer you X dollar dollars a share for all of your shares. And the other person, um, either says, okay, David, I will sell you my shares at X dollars a share or turns around and says, no, I will buy all of your shares for X dollars a share. Um, and, and there's like 30 days to decide. And I remember asking the lawyer at the time, like, um, I, you know, I get along so well with these people. How could, you know, and, and the lawyer said, well, there may come a day when you don't see eye to eye and you don't, and, and you are at loggerheads with each other. And so we put this clause in as a way to solve that. Thank God. And then that actual clause had moved forwards for our various corporate entities and had, lo- had been preserved largely as we originally wrote it. And uh, that was how we solved. I made him a very good offer, and this company—he never had children. This was his baby. He turned around five days later and said he'd buy me out.
0: There you go. That's a very strong piece of advice, I think, for anyone who's looking to to go into business with friends or even someone they don't know from the outset. Um, yeah, you, you might. That, yeah.
1: How are you going to solve solve um, uh, disagreements? Because believe me, disagreements will come up. I do a lot of I do a lot of coaching around that, <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. but it was uh, and you know I was reading some of your recent blog posts. You know, you had one about passion, mm. and another about grit. Um, you know, I th- you know what's the difference between you know an entrepreneur and ordinary person is I think it's just perseverance. It's just yeah, it's grit. It's not giving up. And, uh, you know, why was we so successful at Robel? Is we really, really were passionate about the customer. We had two home run product lines, you know, and one was this uh, development environment that let programmers or operators in this computing environment be incredibly productive. Uh, And then I was the chief architect of the highest speed database solution. Um, So people built data stores, database stores way too big for the, the hardware. And so they couldn't get information out fast enough. Um, So they couldn't like get their overnight reports out in the morning before people had to log in. Mm. And this caused untold grief. Um, And we had a software solution that helped solve that and uh, let people run their business. But also um, we were passionate about helping people get information out of these really large data stores that was critical to running their business. And even being able to do it during the day. WestJet, one of the founding CEOs of WestJet used our solution, even though he was not a programmer, not a techie, but he needed critical information and he learned how to use this piece of software to extract out of WestJet's database, critical information he needed to run the airline. Uh, So uh, WestJet being further your listeners might not know, but WestJet is uh, one of the larger Canadian, was started as a, you know, a low cost carrier. To, uh, to compete with uh, Air Canada um, and is still in business today. Wow. doesn't, doesn't use that computing platform. It doesn't use that software anymore. <laughs> it moved on, but, uh, yes. but um, we were very, very passionate about this. And I, I think it showed up a lot in the presentations we did. Um, and the presentations we did were not sales presentations. They really were present. You know, they were things that we were learned from the school of hard knocks that we went out and like, this is what we learned. This is what you might want to think about. Um, Or they were deeply technical papers on if if you're trying to solve, work with this technical problem, here's what we found out. And maybe this will help you.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I love how you really put the passion behind it. You know, I'm a firm believer. And if it's something that you're truly passionate about, it's going to come across in everything. And that in and of itself can be the potential selling point right um or even just the belief that needs to be put out there to help someone else feel it you know um and 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 i've
1: met entrepreneurs with the opposite is true okay they're they're not deeply deeply passionate enough about it yeah or or they don't believe in it enough um right um and and yeah it's like you don't want to invest in them You, you know it's yeah it's um they're just not believable enough. Um, so, uh, so I think there's two sides to that, to that coin. Um, and yeah, and plus only 10% of the population ever become entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, you know, like running a business, one of the hardest things you're ever gonna do in your life. So like, you know, have something you really care about because that'll, when you're in the muck and the mud and up to your neck and feel like you can't even tread water, um, that's what will sustain is, is that vision, the why you're doing it, why you're getting up in the morning to put another day in.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. So, David, maybe you can share a little bit about what you decided to do after you sold your part of the company.
1: So, it's early 2001 and um i've sold a business and i barely noticed that the dot-com meltdown has happened i'm busy like trying to chase technical opportunities in the vancouver area um and uh again someone's i i I did a lot of networking you know at least i'm outgoing and gregarious so it's not too hard for me (laughs) to network um that's never been a challenge too much of a challenge for me so um through you know kind of introduced one person introduced another introduced me to this woman who helped seniors was had a firm who was hired when senior executives were let go to help them like find their way and find a new a new place and um she uh we went out to lunch together and then we went back to her office and i remember we were sitting in chairs in front of her desk like facing each other and uh, margaret Livingston was her name and she Looked at me and she said, you know, when I had a career change like yours, I went to Australia and I bought a VW van and I drove around for a year and took <laughs> That's a That's amazing. And if you can just picture, since we're just voice here today, um, picture the, the most cartoonish light bulb going off over my head. Picture that you can. <laughs> it was like, and, and she said to me, this was probably the kicker. She said, David, your kids will never be 11, 9 and 5 again. Mm. and you know I I had spent I was pretty good about balancing my life and doing a lot of things and like I've been a sailor all my life and we'd had a sailboat and spent at least three weeks on the sailboat with the kids every summer um, and skied with them in the winter so but you know the business still took away a lot of time Um, and so uh, my wife and I hatched this plan where we would commission a sailboat in the south of France and take our three kids and um, and homeschooled them for two years while sailing more than five thousand miles, about ten thousand kilometers uh, in the Mediterranean.
0: What an incredible experience! Um, I, I just have to say, I'm <laughs> I need to figure out a way to make that happen in my <laughs> life. <laughs>
1: well, and I, I, it's funny because your you know your your brand is Planet with Nikki, and um, we. We decided that like at the end of February in 2001, and we left June 26th. And like, it is a good thing I'm a planner and I'm an excellent <laughs> project manager because I tell you, I probably was working a lot of 50, 60 hour weeks to pull it all off and yeah. just in the level of detail. I mean, like we didn't have a boat. So like first first thing is we need to go buy a new boat <laughs> and have and, you know, and one that's in the man. Uh, so that alone was uh, was quite a process, and uh, you know, and figuring out the homeschooling and on and on. Um, but we did it, and we have this amazing legacy as a family that you know we still draw on. And uh, you know, um, you know what? And people say, well, you know, what? What do your children say about it? I don't. I rarely ask them directly. I, you know, I've asked them one or two events and things, but it's like, what's the impact on your kids of going 18 months without being in an English-speaking country? Like every bus stop is in a foreign language. Like, you know, what's what's being on watch with your parents in the middle of the night? Like, what is that experience? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of the most magical experiences I often talk about is our second overnight passage uh, my son so my son Kevin did watches with me and our daughter Dawson did watches with Carolee and Kevin and I were on watch at three o'clock in the morning in the western Mediterranean Sea and uh, we were actually motoring because there was a big high pressure system but the high pressure system gave clear skies and overhead as far as we could see was the Milky Way, and it was so bright that the stars in the horizon we kept mistaking for other ships but you know (laughs) I said to Kevin, hey Kevin, you better." better said to me, you take the port side, the left side of the boat and keep a lookout and I'll keep a lookout on the starboard side. So, you know, now he's 32. Like, what does it mean to him to think back and at 10 years old, know your dad trusts you with half the horizon in the middle of the night?
0: That gives me goosebumps, David, like just talking about the legacy and the experience that you built with your family and pulling all of that together. It's just, um, you know, it really puts things into perspective.
1: Yeah, I think. yes, totally. Um, and, you know, it's one of, of many different experiences that we had um, in my book, Wind in Your Sales, Vital Strategies That Accelerate Your Entrepreneurial Growth. It's a book for Business owners, uh, principally for founders who are still kind of on their first business, haven't done multiple businesses. Um, but I start each story, each chapter with a story about sailing. And I open the book with actually another story with Kevin, which is we were on a three day passage. Um, from north of uh, Sicily around the toe and then the heel of Italy and we were on our way north uh, to Dubrovnik in Croatia and in the middle of the night a thunderstorm showed up that was about 75 miles wide and uh, Carolee woke me up and said which way to where to leave the storm and I said well head off to the right to the starboard side and then we came on watch Kevin and I at uh, 2 a.m. and like for an hour it felt like the storm was getting closer so finally I said to Kevin, we're going to heave to, which is just a maneuver in the boat where you turn it into the wind and kind of park it so it doesn't move. It just sits there. Um, and it also put the back of the boat facing the storm. And, and Kevin and I, for an hour, we just literally watched the storm and we eventually moved, figured out it was moving from right to left. So if we'd kept going to the right, we would have driven right into the middle of it. Um, but now armed with new knowledge, um we could turn the boat and go slightly the other way and avoid the middle of the storm. Um, uh, and you know, Kevin's heard me tell that story quite a few times and, uh, he likes both those stories actually, because I share the, the the one about the stars quite a bit, um, as part of my recovery. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, that's the, my opening story in the book, which is really one of the things that I coach around and talk about is, uh, um um, you know, you need to pause, then go forward, like pause, figure things out and then move forward. Um, another piece that I work with a lot with entrepreneurs is, is what I call uh, facing the brutal facts. In my experience, Mm -hmm. about half the battle is to face the brutal facts. Like, Oh, you're losing money on every sale. Okay. Well now at least we know it and we can do something about it. I've actually met entrepreneurs who were losing money on every sale. Um, and, um, my experience is like half the battle is acknowledging the elephant in the room or the brutal fact, because you can almost always find a way through once you've acknowledged what the true real issue is difficult and hard and brutal as it is, Mm. at least when you now are facing it and not hiding from it, then you have a chance of really solving it. And as I say, I I don't know of any case in my work where we didn't find the solution may have been very painful. You may have to downsize. You may have to do things you don't want to do, but, but you do what you have to do so you can continue.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. David, your, your entrepreneurial journey is, is truly inspiring and your dedication to helping others is remarkable one aspect of your work that really stands out. And you just mentioned recovery, right? Is your focus on supporting entrepreneurs who struggle with alcoholism and addiction. Would you be comfortable speaking to us about that?
1: Sure. Um, I would I, I'll need to. So let's continue kind of the career story a little bit. So I come back from sure. this amazing adventure in the Mediterranean. Um, I do three years of angel investing and Board work and working for options. Um, you know, I, I look at about a hundred deals, invest in one. Um, at the end of that three years, I didn't realize it's just completely unfulfilling work. You know, working with CEOs and entrepreneurs that are like so many rungs down the ladder. There was like those are rungs that I went over when I was 25. And and you know, I'm finding it takes me a year to get them up one rung of the ladder. So completely unfulfilling. And then I went to a education event with one of my young CEOs that I was invested in. Um, a guy, Vern Harnish, book Scaling Up and the Rockefeller Habits. Um, and at the back of the room were two coaches and I talked to both of them. And one of those coaches made me more uncomfortable than I had been in years. In fact, I had tears in the corner of my eyes. Oh no. Um, which is not a bad thing. Like he... What he, you know, he asked a few questions that made me understand just how deeply unfulfilled I was and unhappy I was. And he gave me his card and his card sat next to my telephone for about three weeks. And I thought about calling Kevin half a dozen times. And every time I thought about it, the phone weighed at least (laughs) 10,000 (laughs) pounds. Thankfully, Kevin remembered me and I'd given him my card. And after about three weeks, he called me. Wow. Wow and he said, do you remember me? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and the word is yes. You know, it's like, yeah, for three weeks, Kevin, you're about all I've thought about, uh, but I didn't say that. And I hired him and on my 50th birthday, um, and Kevin's at that time, how he worked with the new entrepreneurs, you did 16 hours of coaching together, two eight hour days. So, uh, <laughs> Kevin is like me, all in or all out. There's there's no room for anything in between. Um, but we worked together for 18 months. And um, then uh, I emailed Kevin a topic for our coaching meeting the next day. Because it's another case where, here's the brutal fact, I cleared all the clutter off the table and the elephant in the room was my drinking. And I told him, you know, the topic for our conversation, our coaching call is... is um, my drinking. And so it was a Tuesday, January 27th, 2009. And it was a coaching call in the morning. It's very vivid day. I can remember it. And, um, he coached me to go to 12 step recovery, which I had a huge aversion to, which I don't even know where that comes from. I think probably a lot of it's just the stigma of alcoholism. Mm Um, and, um, you know, I committed to going to a meeting by that Friday, and then, being the overachiever that I am, that afternoon I looked online at meetings. That I was at a technology event downtown until eight o'clock, and lo and behold, on my literally my drive home, a quarter of a block off of the main street I'd be driving down was a twelve-step meeting starting at eight thirty. And uh, I went to that meeting. Uh, it turns out that it's at a Legion, and downstairs is a bar. So I walked in the door. I'm not even 24 hours sober um and there's like the doors to the bar are open and there's beers on the table and uh i'm like a deer in the headlights and someone and and a couple of people going to the meeting like they have this good sixth sense and they they looked at me and they said hey are you looking for a meeting because that's down the hall and up the stairs and i turned right and went down the hall and up the stairs and uh, a couple of weeks later and at that meeting i stood up and said i'm david i'm an alcoholic That was the brutal fact and um, recovering from alcoholism is the single biggest achievement of my life Um, but it's an achievement i have to remember every morning to get up and i have to achieve it again like i don't get to rest on yesterday's laurels when it comes to my alcoholism and uh, i still have some really intense drinking nightmares which reminds me the alcoholic part of my mind is still alive and well and uh, that, that meeting became my home group and is still my home group and um, two days ago we're recording this on a Monday and on Saturday morning uh, I took my 15-year cake which is I literally brought a cake to a meeting um, and was asked to share um, about my my experience strength and hope of recovery and uh, about um, so I decided to become a coach because of the gifts that coach Kevin had given me, which I was really yes. focused more on the life and business part of it. But then about three or four years ago, I decided that um, talking to my own coach and she sharing with me, how I show up anytime I talk about recovery, um, the pureness of what I talk about and um, you know, just what I've gone through to recover. So anyways, I made the decision to become very public about my recovery. And I, you know, have two primary purposes with that. One is to reduce the stigma of alcoholism. Anyone, anyone can be an alcoholic, uh, alcohol is the most potent potent drug on the planet. If you drink enough of it, you will become addicted. That's, Mm -hmm. that's just the bottom line. Um, and I want to offer hope. Uh, I want to offer hope that if someone like me, who was a daily drinker for 20 years, even while running a very successful business, well, using it to help power up through the highs and through the lows, um, that you too can get sober. And it's worth it. Um, you're worth it. And so I um, I came out, so to speak, um, publicly, and, um, you know, have been doing podcasts like this and many others. And um, I, I think as an entrepreneur, there's just, you know, um, how alcohol is involved in business. I have a lot of, like, High-end entrepreneurs with like high-end sales, where you know the the entrepreneur needs to fly down and meet like the senior executives on a really big sale, and yeah. you know the expectation is you go out to dinner and you have a couple of drinks before and you have a bottle of wine each, and it's like, what do I do in that situation, you know? Um, and uh, what do I do with staff? What do I do at networking events? Like, and just how do I navigate this and? You know, so I've had clients come to me who've been sober for a few years and, you know, it just informs part of our discussion about how they can live a sober life and have the business they want. And because I bring that to the table because that's my, my experience, right, is I have this experience of being an entrepreneur and being an alcoholic and now 15 years of recovery.
0: David, first and foremost, Congratulations. Uh, thank
1: you so much thank you so I really happy that.
0: for you and yeah like words words can't explain how <laughs> I, I don't know you personally that well but I'm proud of you <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> thank <laughs> you, know? you
0: it's amazing um it always makes me happy to to hear these these stories and these successes and I love that you're so willing to, you know, I I think it's brave and it's remarkable that you're willing to put yourself out there to, to, to help give others hope and to coach them and to guide them. Because I know, you know, I, in my day job, I work as um, a corporate strategist, you know, and, and you're right, you know, you go to these big events and, you know, there's these executives or even Christmas parties and it's Mm. full of booze. It's full of, you know, the social aspect and it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, whenever you're in a certain situation, it's, yeah, it's amazing. So, so thank you for, for putting yourself out there and for taking this, this niche part of your coaching to that level. Um, It's needed. And I'm not sure that there's enough of it out there.
1: Uh, You know, I've actually really struggled uh, to find other, like there's recovery coaches who are people who, especially early in recovery, are there to help coach people through Mm -hmm. their, you know, like after treatment and, but they're very focused just on the alcohol piece. But I've like not yet met another business coach who, you know, is open about their uh, recovery and is seems to be doing what I'm doing. I'm sure there are some and if there are, and if you're out there, I would love to hear from you. Um, Cause I'm sure we could, we could compare notes and, and be have, you know, show up even better for people. But, um, yeah. I found it really hard, really hard to find, um, largely because, you know, people don't want to be open even if they're in recovery. There is still a lot of stigma associated with being an alcoholic and a lot of belief that, you know, if you just pulled yourself up by your bootstraps bootstraps, you know, everything <laughs> would be better. It's a mental health disease, right? Alcohol use disorder, substance use disorder. You can't recover from a disease by pulling up on your bootstraps.
0: Wouldn't it be nice if life was that easy?
1: It sure would. (laughs) (laughs) But not with the potent chemicals that we put in our bodies.
0: No, no. Thank you so much for sharing that, David. Um, I I do want to switch gears just a little bit as we kind of get towards wrapping up momentarily. But as an entrepreneurial coach and facilitator, you know, how thinking more from the day to day life, how do you translate developing effective strategic plans, you know, just within someone's own ventures or where might one look when they're just getting started if they're interested in pursuing entrepreneurship?
1: Sure. Um, So half of my work is like one-on-one coaching and then half of my work is actually facilitating strategic planning. Okay. And I mentioned earlier that I met Coach Kevin at this event um, with the guy Vern Harnish who has something called The One Page Plan um, which come out of his books The Rockefeller Habits and Scaling Up. And a, um, a lot of I think it's probably one of the best templates for high-growth companies. Um, so that's a place to start. One um, uh, scaling up one-page plan. Uh, there's a simplified version of that. There's a lot of moving parts to it. It's hard to do it on your own. Uh, there's an entrepreneur from Atlanta I really like called David Cummings, and there's the David Cummings one-page plan, which is modeled on Vern's plan but simpler. And I often get people started with that. Um, and it's literally in one page. Um, but let's talk a little bit about process because whether it's David Cummings or whether it's Fern Harnish or David Greer, like there's, so there's a couple of things. So I like to ask entrepreneurs, is it strategy that is the plan or is it execution, like actually operating the plan? Mm-hmm. And it's a trick question because I believe it's neither. It's about alignment. You need everybody to be aligned. You know, if we take back the, you know, a maritime, if everyone's in the boat rowing in the same direction, um, and you've all agreed that, you know, that's the Island you're going for, you'll make a lot of progress. But if you're not aligned, like you can make a lot, there'd be a lot of splashing and a lot of movement of oars, and it can look like everybody is super busy and you're just going in circles. So it's about alignment. And I think you can only align on a very small set of goals. So all of these templates and processes, um, I'd say five key initiatives for a year should be like the maximum. Um, and for a quarter, like no more than five key things to get done in a quarter. And I believe in quarterly planning processes, especially if you're high growth. Um, but even if you're just an average growth company, my belief is 13 weeks is enough time to get a lot of shit done and enough time to realize where you need to course correct. Like, put your pedal to the metal, get stuff done. And so, you know, I take people, the process I use is for quarterly planning. I take teams and the entrepreneurs, the senior executive teams offsite for a whole day. And we come up with the next quarter plan. And then for annual planning, uh, we go offsite for two days and we actually look out three, five years, like, where are you going? Then we work backwards to, that was the biggest insight I got from Vern Harnish from that day, other than, Coach Kevin making me really uncomfortable, was this whole idea that, that we built Robel by just incrementally looking at the next year and doing a little better than previous year. Um, and it served us well. I, hey, I did extremely well, made a lot of money, um, but I think we could have done better with Vern's process, which is where do you want to be in three to five years? And to get there, what do you need to do this year so you can get there in three to five? And then what do you need to do this quarter so you can get to where you want to go this year? Um, so that's the core of strategic planning and, and, um, again, I find entrepreneurs tend to choose too many goals or they don't choose any goals. Entrepreneurs, uh, I work a lot with entrepreneurs that have my problem, shiny red ball syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, and it's like verbal doesn't count. Like you need it yeah. written down on a piece of paper yeah, and a piece of paper you share with others like it's amazing how effective that is when you do that because you it's very hard to backtrack and yeah so and and at least and if you're going to backtrack at least could you do it consciously like could you remove one of the goals you had before you put the new one on whereas most entrepreneurs oh we'll do those five things and we'll do the six and we'll do the seventh well i tell you organizations just can't do that they won't perform um, cause I just, I just don't think people are capable of focusing on more than five things.
0: Yeah, that's, that's some really powerful advice there, David. And, and thank you for that. You know, I, I think that can also translate, even if you're not an entrepreneur, like, right, like if you even just in our, our daily listeners, if you, just making a goal or putting some small steps in place to achieve that and not your point it's either one extreme or the other someone writing out a list of 500 things they want to try to accomplish or i think i was i was watching a um a reel the other day somewhere and it it was talking about a vision board and how they said you know someone puts up a vision board and they've got this multi-million dollar home and and the the sailboat and you know all of that sort of stuff but they're sitting in their mom and dad's basement in a corner working at a desk, you know, and just have these lofty goals in mind, but not actually thinking about what they can actually achieve in a step-by-step basis. And and that's yes. kind of, so, yeah.
1: So good. The vision board is like your three to five years
0: or yeah, 10 exactly.
1: or, or longer, yeah. but... Great. I think it's great to have that vision, but it's like, so what do you need to do this year to get you towards where you want to go there? And you know, what's your, your next step? The other thing I, I take from my work with coach Kevin Lawrence, and he actually publicly publishes his template for planning is what he calls his master plan. And if anyone wants to email me, I'd be glad to, to point them towards it. But Kevin's model, he breaks life down into three parts kind of career investments, you know, finances, Um, Then um, life, which is you and your relationships, and the people and your family, and the people that really mean to you. And then this other one in the middle called self. And I noticed you did a blog post on resiliency. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, we as entrepreneurs, high performing individuals, we tend to be very passionate about our families and our life and very passionate about our business. And we are very good at squeezing ourselves out of the middle. And so when I look at the, I actually look at these three areas and make conscious choice about what I'm going to do in each of those and do some things for myself that are just for me. Just, just because like whatever those, you know, and each of us have those things that renew us, refresh us. Um, Won't be a big surprise probably to you, Nikki, and your listeners that I like to go sailing. And (laughs) And sometimes, you know, like um, you know, in November, I just went for a couple of weeks solo over to Victoria, and Carolee just joined me at the very end, and we had a little bit of time on the boat, and then sailed it back to Vancouver together. But I had I don't know, probably close to two weeks, I think, on my own. I was still working, but you know, I was just working from my sailboat, you know, in a, in a different city in a beautiful harbor, and and it was very renewing, and and um, it was really important to me that I did that.
0: I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> that really resonates. Good. Um, uh, David, as we wrap up, what key takeaway or piece of advice would you like to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, well, I go back to recovery because it's my most important message, right? That, uh, um, you know, there's um uh, if you have a if you have a problem with with alcohol or drugs or any other um, shop workaholism shopaholism sex addiction, just know there's help. There is a solution. Um, and and the other thing is is we we can't recover alone. Is my deep belief. It's just impossible. the The mind that got us into this is not the mind capable of getting out of this. We need other people. Um, to help us and to help show our way and help show where we're thinking is, is not helping us.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, David. Friends, what an incredible journey it has been unraveling this inspiring story of coach David Greer today. We hope you found this conversation as enlightening and motivating as we did. David, where can our audience connect with you after listening to this episode? Or how can fans and listeners support your current endeavors? And where can folks get their hands on your book, Wind in Your
1: uh, So uh, easiest to get a hold of me? Well, you can just Google David Greer uh, Coach. Uh, good chance I'll be right at the top of the list there. But my website is coachdjgreer.com. That's Coach D as in David, J as in James, Greer.com. And uh, my email address and my phone number are on the top of every single page. Uh, And uh, my book, uh, Wind in Your Sales, is available on all the major uh, book platforms, uh, including Amazon. It's available in a print form, um, in Kindle or Nook form, and it's available as an Audible book. uh, So you can get it um, any of those ways.
0: That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Before we part ways, I have a quick request for our amazing listeners. If you enjoyed today's episode and found value in David's insights, please consider leaving us a glowing five-star review on both Spotify and Apple podcasts. Your reviews not only make our day, but also help others discover the incredible stories that we share. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. It's the best way to stay updated on future episodes featuring more captivating guests and stories. Please connect with me on social media. I love hearing your thoughts. Feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can find me at Planet with Nikki, that's N I K K I podcast, all one word, on Instagram. I also have a private Facebook community, Holistic Harbor, that I would love for you to be a part of. And I will link everything in the show notes below, including how you can reach out to David Greer if you so wish to do so, and also some locations where you can find his book. Thank you once again for being an invaluable part of this community. Until next time, stay inspired, stay curious, and whatever you do, keep chasing your dreams. Thank you. And with love from your host, Nikki. David, thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to staying in touch.
1: Thanks, Nikki. It's been awesome. Really appreciate it.
0: Speak to you soon.